0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 247. And
1: there's a program that was recently released called the 2-1 Buy Down. It's not an adjustable rate mortgage. Basically, it's saying, hey, rates today are 6%. Let's do 6% for easy math. For the first year that you own the property, you're gonna have 4% interest rate. The second year you own the property, you're at a 5% interest rate. Year three, you go to 6%. There's no prepayment penalty. And it's not an adjustable rate where you're subject to the market rate at that time. So in three years, if rates are 10%, 11%, 12%, we can't even fathom that, right?
0: But rates have been there. My name is Ashley Care, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson.
2: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start off today's episode by shouting out Nick Halden5621, who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Nick said, I recently started listening to podcasts, and I really like the way both of you conduct the show, the way you ask questions, the way you share your experiences. It really gives a lot of insight and knowledge. to someone like me who is planning to buy his first investment property, keep up the good work. Nick Halden, we appreciate you, brother. And if you're listening to the show and you have not yet left us an honest rating and review, please do on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform as you're listening to. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more folks we can help, and helping folks is what we do around here. So then, isn't that right, Ashley?
0: Yes, it is. And speaking of all of our wonderful listeners, especially the ones that leave us five-star reviews, we are going to be in Denver on February 23rd with Almost all of the podcast hosts from every Bigger Pockets podcast, and we're going to be having a meetup in Denver. So make sure you guys go to biggerpockets.com/events to check out uh, what we have in store for you in Denver. And if you guys want us to come to your city, send a DM to the Bigger Pockets Instagram account, or to myself or Tony at Wealth From Rentals or at Tony J Robinson, and let us know uh, where you guys want us to come.
2: Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion Certified Tenant Screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid Certified Tenant Income and Asset Reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Well, today we've got an amazing episode. We have someone who's uh, somewhat connected to the bigger pockets ecosystem. We got Lindsay Iskierka, and uh, she works with David Green. Some of you guys may know that name from the other uh, bigger pockets real estate podcast. Uh, but Lindsay comes on, and she's just like a, a wealth of knowledge, both as an investor and as an agent. And we talk about both sides of that uh, that equation as we go through the episode.
0: Yeah, some of my favorite lessons and takeaway from this episode are talking about different markets. Uh, 1031 exchanges, and then also the current market, which we had this drastic change from high housing pricing, low interest rates, and now it has shifted to high interest rates and lower prices. And Lindsay, I think, explains why this actually can be an advantage to you as an investor and just a a buyer in this market today. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate?
1: Yeah, happy to. And first off, thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure to, to finally talk to you guys and uh, connect here. So my name is Lindsay Iskirka and I've been in real estate since 2015. I uh, got my real estate license, bought my first investment property in 2016. And since about May, 2021, I have served as David's partner and lead real estate agent for the Southern California real estate sales team. So help investors buy, sell, invest, house hack, short-term rentals, midterm rentals, long-term rentals, we do it all. And uh, real estate's my life. And it's,
0: uh, it's, I love what I do. And that is the David, David Green that you are talking about.
1: Absolutely right. (laughs) For clarification. Probably don't
0: need to say his last name, but (laughs) just to clarify. So, Lindsay, when you got your license, this was before you actually started investing then? That came first? Holy
1: yeah. After I knew I wanted to invest in real estate, but we just didn't get started quite yet. But I kind of have an interesting story as to how I even got into it, and I'll probably go into that, but... Yeah, let's hear
0: that right now. I would love to
1: hear it. Yeah, so I don't recommend my start to real estate to anybody, but it is my story, and here we go. So after grad school, I met my now husband, and he had an interest in real estate investing. Real estate was not on my radar. No one in my family invests in real estate, owns properties. I have one memory of my parents buying a house when I was seven, and they still live in that house today. Like, there's... Real estate just really wasn't even uh, um, on my radar or a wealth building strategy I had heard of. Uh, after grad school, I was making 14 bucks an hour, <laughs> thinking there's gotta be a better way here. And I met my husband, and um, at the time, he had an interest in real estate investing, but hadn't gotten storage yet. Red versus Dad poured out, of course. And then we went to one of those uh, free seminars that's supposed to teach you everything you need to know about real estate investing. One thing led to another. Next thing we know, we were $40,000 in debt. We had bought one of those guru programs and while I'm grateful for that experience and what it made me do, it was, they I mean, they promised you the world, right? They promised you they're going to teach you everything you need to know. And in reality, it wasn't, we were just so far back um, in terms of our, our goals. So we had to get real and pay this debt off and a way that we decided to do that, moved in with my grandmother. We rented a room from her for a year and a half. And so we got married during that time. So newlyweds going back to grandma's house, you can imagine, Um, you know, but we had a goal in mind and I got my real estate license at that time. So yeah, within a year, we were able to pay off that $40,000 in debt and save up reserves to buy our first house hack. And so while I don't recommend those programs to anyone, it served its purpose for our story. And I'm actually really grateful for that experience. I don't know if I would be where I am today if we didn't endure that. So uh, that's how I got started. And so getting my license is a way to help pay off debt. But I grinded, I worked really, really hard, built my business over five years before meeting David Green. And um, so that was how we got started.
2: Yeah, so Lindsay, first, thanks you for sharing the you know the the hard part of your journey in in terms of getting started, and uh, a similar thing in, in my journey as well. Where my partner and I, we spent not quite forty thousand, we spent twenty thousand dollars on a like a, a program like that. Um, the program was more so focused on teaching you how to become an apartment syndicator, like do commercial real estate, and um, you know after we joined, we did zero uh, commercial deals. Um, but you know, I, I, and I always think like, man, was it a waste of twenty thousand dollars? But through that program, I became really good friends with the guy who introduced me to short-term rentals. And it's like, had I not done that program, would I have found this asset class? Would our portfolio be where we're at today? Would I even be on this podcast? So it's like, I don't know, like, even though it's always like, you know, super crappy to have to go through those situations, it's like, if you can find that silver lining and use that as your motivation to keep going forward, then there's there's maybe still some value in that. So I just want to know, like, what's how did you not get discouraged, right? you 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 invested all this money. You had these big dreams of everything that was going to happen. Didn't turn out the way you wanted to. You moved back in with your grandparents. like it, it's almost like a worst case scenario. So how did you, even with all that happened, stay motivated to continue moving forward and and really still take your start in real estate investing?
1: Really good question. I think I, I, we had a powerful why. You know, um we were already planning our future together, and I thought, okay, What I'm exposed to, it makes sense. I know this can work, and this wasn't it. But here's what we're gonna do. And we live in Southern California, right? So it's very difficult, very expensive market to start investing. And we thought, okay, if we're gonna own a home, we have to house hack. There's really no other way to get started. And we just had a strong enough conviction that I think he and I can do it together. This program wasn't what we hoped it would be, but kind of like you said, I did end up having some relationships with people that I don't know if I would have, um, if I didn't go through that program and opportunities came from there and it, it gave me, it gave me hope that there's a better way. Um, and I just, I knew this could work and I just hadn't found it yet. So put my head down, I realized, and and I felt, I fell in love with real estate. That was another thing too. I, I, I loved it. And that, that leveling grew stronger as I saw uh, the potential for it. So I knew the path that we were going on before was not the right path. And, okay, we hit a speed bump here, but what can I learn from this? I would argue that also is what makes a successful investor, right? You know, because you're going to make bad choices. You're going to make you know, bad decisions or you're going to have to pivot and say, okay, that didn't work. Now what? But you can always find the lesson and the blessing and everything so we are blessed that we also were put in a position as a newer couple to have conversations about money right we had to have real talks about how we're going to pay off this debt what are we going to do how are we going to come together and do it so talks about money didn't be weren't taboo to us it wasn't a, a fighting point it wasn't a difficult point for us and i'm grateful for that very early on so several combinations and just his support. He was so supportive of me and he believed in me that I could do this because he was in law enforcement. And so he was really the steady, like kind of W-2 not many flexible hours. I had more flexible hours and I was kind of set off to go into this real estate thing. And he had such belief in me that I just, I thought, you know, I I have no other choice. I have to make this work. So how am I going to make this work? And ultimately we knew house hacking would be the best way to get started and, in paying off that debt, I built a pretty good real estate business for my first year being an agent. So it just all started to come together with consistent action.
2: I, I love your story so far, Lindsay. And, and I can, I can just see like the motivation, like coming off your face, but I want to, I, I want to, before we go too far, I just want to, if you can let the listeners know, what does your portfolio look like today? Like how many units do you have? Where are those units spread out? Because a lot of real estate agents even though they might do a ton of transactions a year as a real estate (laughs) agent, they might own zero real estate themselves, so.
1: Yes, but they're investor friendly, right, yeah.
2: But they're investor friendly, right? So what what does your portfolio look like today?
1: Sure, so we have sold a few of our houses this year. We're in the middle of our second 1031 exchange right now. But as it stands today, we own four properties. Uh, Two of those are short-term rentals. Uh, One is a long-term rental that we're actually gonna start renovating and turning it into a midterm rental for better cash flow. And then we have a primary. So that's where it is right now. But we're actively buying, looking for more deals and really wanted to probably
0: more than double that next year. Lindsay, can you explain real quick what a 1031 exchange is? Absolutely.
1: So 1031 exchange, it's a tax deferring strategy for real estate investors. So anytime you sell a property, it's an investment property, meaning non-owner occupied, you don't live in it, you're subject to capital gains tax. So what investors do, and it's a great way to scale a portfolio, is you take the income, from selling that property, you immediately roll all those proceeds into the purchase of another property. And so you avoid the capital gains tax. And it's a great way to scale. It's a great way to buy a bigger asset um, or get into a new asset class. And um, it's used by investors to scale a portfolio more quicker and you avoid taxes. So this is our second one that we're doing. First one worked out well too. those from our house hack that we did. But uh, so yeah. And if you want to do a 1031 exchange or, or think about doing it, Need to make sure you have a QI qualified intermediary to help you with that transaction. Really important piece of the puzzle. And then an agent that knows what that is and knows what is needed when you get into escrow to make sure that it actually goes through and you can save tens of thousands of dollars um, and taxes if you do this correctly.
0: Lindsay, I want to talk about and start getting into some of your deals. Um, so what markets are you currently investing in for those properties that you have? Yeah. So
1: personally, our first house hack was in Long Beach, California. So coastal town in, uh, Southern, uh, LA County, right on the border of LA and Orange County right there. That's where I started. And then we thought it was a good idea <laughs> to 1031 exchange that property into three houses in the Midwest. And those cities that we invested in were Kansas city, Missouri, Birmingham, Alabama. And so we were in those two markets for a little bit. We also now own a short term rental in Kalispell, Montana. It's right near Glacier national park. I personally love national parks for short term rentals. I just think it's always going to be a market that, uh, or a a key component of the market that I want to choose for my own, uh, investment. So we have that, but we still own one property in Kansas city, Missouri, And then we've sold the other ones. And I own again in Joshua tree is my uh, other short-term rental
0: for the 1031 exchange. So when you sold that one property, you bought those three with the funds from that first property. So what made you decide to, how did you even begin to find those three other markets? Can you kind of walk us through that process?
1: I can definitely. So it was an interesting time in, in our, in our life. So we, we, I would have house hacked longer and that's something that maybe we'll get into in a little bit as well um, our family was growing we were expecting two under two and i thought we are out of space where we currently are at and so we moved out of our first house hack rented it out it was cash flowing but it needed some major repairs uh we didn't have the capital at the time to replace both roofs and redo the plumbing like it needed a lot of work but we had equity and we thought okay we want to scale how can we make this property work for us? A cash out refinance did not work. We did a VA zero down um, loan on it. So it's just a HELOC and cash out refinance ultimately just really didn't leave us with enough equity to really do much with. The only option was to sell it. And I wanted to keep that property, but just at the time we had to make a decision, it made sense to sell it. When you do a 1031 exchange, you have a very quick timeline in terms of when you have to identify the properties that you're going to buy. At the time that we were doing this, I had a newborn and an 18-month-old and did not really have a ton of energy or knowledge about other markets where I could manage renovations. I could do all of the different facets of buying several properties. So we turned to turnkey. Uh, we've been bigger pockets listeners for many years already i've been listening to bigger pockets since 2015 right so we had heard, heard about turnkey investments the pros and cons at that time turnkey properties made the most sense for us in that life stage we were able to see the properties on a spreadsheet and say okay where's the best roi what are the best neighborhoods that are available that we can identify within that 45-day period to meet the goal that we had to have for the 1031 one exchange to go through so not to get too complicated with 1031 exchanges, you have to meet a certain uh, property value limit, and you also have to breach a proper loan amount limit. So to all the pieces of the puzzle uh, made it so that we were um, looking at turnkey properties and what available inventory they had for us to meet those requirements. We chose Kansas City, Missouri, because my husband's sister actually was in medical school in Kansas City, Missouri, and she was able to tell us in those like suburbs of kansas city where the better areas were Um, she said oh you want to go over here go over here avoid this area thought great and then birmingham alabama actually had some really great rois according to like the spreadsheet we're looking at it It it's right next to downtown birmingham that was the best performing property that we had so it was kind of on a, a whim we knew we wanted kansas city out of the choices that we had based on the boots on the ground um knowledge that we had access to but other than that it was kind of just this'll work. This'll work. We have to, we have, we have to choose the markets.
2: Lindsay, I just want to circle back really quickly on on that decision you made about refinancing versus selling the property. You said that doing a refinance, you wouldn't be able to tap into all of the equity. Can you, can you just elaborate on, on what you mean by that? Like, why can't you access all of the, the equity in a cash out refinance?
1: Yeah. So we were going to do a cash out refinance. We could only pull out 70% of the LTV at the time we had about, or that's loan to value. So we had, Bought the property for $750 in 2016. By the time it hit like 2018, early 2019, it was worth 950 So we had 200000 in equity. And if we're gonna do a cash out refinance, after doing all the math, we were only left with like $65, $70,000 that we could actually put towards a purchase of another property because we put zero down. So when you have equity, it's like you have to also think about how much did I put into the deal? And with this one, since we didn't have any, it really ate away at that. Plus, um, yeah, so we were doing the math. It just, it didn't make sense for us to let this property go. Um, and and we really couldn't, um, do much more to it. So, and we kind of had some hard tenants that gave us the, uh, Idea that let's just let's just kind of get rid of this one. It served its purpose. Let's move on. So if we were refinancing, we had wonderful tenants. It might have been a different story, but still, the the money that we had access to after the refinance was not enough for us to feel like we could fix up the property to hold on to it long term and to scale.
0: Yeah, that did. I think that was a great explanation because I think we get a lot of questions like that, and we see people post in the real estate rookie Facebook group as to here are the t- my two options which one should I do? And I think you did the thing that everybody should take away from this is you ran the numbers on both. Like what's going to the outcome. If you go either path, what are you going to be left with? So, you know, if you are going to, you know, say you have this amount of capital available, are you going to put it all into one house? Are you going to spread it out over several houses? We'll use those scenarios and run the numbers and What's it going to look like in a year? What's it going to look like in five years? And that's what you did with either refinancing or selling. And you looked what capital do you have left and what can you do with it? So I think that was a perfect example of how running the numbers, and just kind of doing that analysis on those scenarios instead of just like any mini miny, moe, catch a tiger by the toe. I'm going right. to go refinance.
1: <laughs> we had to. Kind of funny thing too is this is something to note is that at that time we wondered if we were at the top of the market. We had $200,000 in equity as new investors. That was pretty attractive. You know. And we thought, gosh, what if, the, what if the values do go down? This is like you know, 2018, early 2019, pre-pandemic. We thought we were at the top of the market or there was chatter about that. So i had to take that into consideration if we don't sell it and i refinance you know well can we make these repairs in the property have it still cash flow because we had a great interest rate and rates were up at that point you know so can we make this work and ultimately it just didn't And we thought you know hey we we have to make a move here here are the options that we have so we, we at least made a move and i think that's something i really want the rookies on here to pay attention to is taking action even if it's not the absolute best action it's better than than not taking any action at all, right? I think people are so afraid of making a mistake, and that's inevitable. You're going to make some mistakes, and that's okay. But the important point is you take consistent action with the available information that you have at hand with your trusted team, your advisors, and you know, move the needle forward, however that may look in that situation.
0: You hit it right on, Lindsay, that, you know, so focused on making the right decision but sometimes either deci- decision can work out for you. Yeah. Don't get so focused on maximizing the cash flow. That's why there's more deals to be done. Especially your first deal, don't waste time actually taking action by, you know, getting into that analysis paralysis of what's the best way to do this. I want to maximize and pinch every single penny, but just getting started, that's going to give you the momentum to go and give more deals. And that's going to end up giving you a better return starting now than waiting, you know, until you've finally decided this is the route you're going to take. So I can
1: no longer afford that
0: property. Yeah. That's a great point, <laughs> Did you waited too wait and how you were talking about the, the market, how you were thinking maybe it's the top of the market, we should sell it now, too, is something if you went and refinanced and you pulled out that equity and then all of a sudden values did drop but something comes up where now you do have to exit the property and now it's not worth what you had drawn out in equity too. So there's always that risk. And that's something, you know, you guys did a great job of kind of foreseeing if those things were to happen along with running the numbers too. Thank you for that.
4: Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
2: When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store. But then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at Shopify.com slash BP rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bp rookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bp rookie. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion Certified Tenant Screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid Certified Tenant Income and Asset Reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Linda, you, you also mentioned that part of the reason you sold was because of the, not issues, but maybe the, the tenants weren't your ideal tenant. Uh, were you self-managing this property or, or what did that relationship look like with those tenants?
1: Oh, really good question. So um, partly, yes, we did a property management for the back house. So just to kind of give you a quick layout, it was a front house, a little craftsman house in the front that we lived in. There was a duplex in the back. The duplex in the back had sets of tenants and we had property management for that. Part of it was because, like I said, my husband was in law enforcement. He wanted safety. He wanted people to not bother us if they had concerns. They they want us to see, the, see us as the bad guys. We want to act like we are Hey, we're tenants too. You go talk to the property manager and not think that we're the ones raising rent. Or we're oh, so the they, ones. they
2: didn't even know that you guys were the owners.
1: No, no. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. The first set of tenants did because they saw us moving. So
2: like they're moving in. You're like, man, those landlords, they kind of suck, guys. Like watch out. For
1: I know. Them. Oh,
3: <laughs> rent's so
2: high
1: here. The parking <laughs> yeah. sucks. and all Yeah. Like
3: that.
1: <laughs> We had to play it up and, and, and it worked, yeah. right? Because we, we, we were the same age group roughly, right? And they they believed it. And um, it wasn't until we had a main waterline backup that one of my tenants saw me walking the property with a contractor and she's like, wait, are you paying for all this? I was like, okay, fine. We own the property. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> they caught me at that when we had a massive <laughs> yeah. repair that we had to take care of. But yeah. um, so that part was property management. We kept that as property management. When we moved out of our uh, the, the front house and we bought another primary residence, when we moved out of that front house, we decided to do section eight and we use a VA program actually called the VA VASH program and essentially a section eight for veterans. So we wanted to do good with our housing. We had this wonderful house in a great part of Long Beach. And we thought, okay, we may not get maximum rent here, but how can we use this house for good? So we put a, um, a, a military family in there where they were trying to go through school. They couldn't really afford rent in the area. And so that made us feel good by putting, um, uh, military housing, uh, providing housing for veterans, which is very close to, to us. My husband's a veteran, too. Obviously, we used the VA loan, so uh, we wanted to do good with the house that we had, so we did that, but things just kind of turned a little sideways with some of our tenants, um, and it's okay. We learned lessons, but they were not that ideal.
0: <laughs> I think this is the first time anybody's ever talked about this program. Can you maybe explain it a little more? Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful program. I'm
1: so glad we found it. Uh, basically it's, it's sponsored by the VA and they work right alongside HUD. And essentially it works just like section eight, your unit is valued by the zip code and number of bedrooms, just like section eight is, and it's given a market value for that area. And it goes up little by little every year. So you get the benefits of section eight, where you do have guaranteed income coming in, which is really nice is that during COVID should any, uh, tenants not be able to pay their part of the rent had stepped in and paid the full rent amount, which was kind of nice. So, um, we didn't run into that issue, but it was just another perk, uh, of that program. So you have guaranteed income and you get to choose kind of the background that you're comfortable with. We really wanted a family in there because we had, you know, two bedrooms, we had, we we brought our our daughter home in that unit, right? We just, we really wanted to help out a, a military family. So we did that. Um, so you can choose if you want a single person, a family, if you want no history of, of substance abuse or evictions and things like that. So you can kind of set your criteria as to what kind of tenant you would accept. And then they give the application process. You have a rep from the VA that works with the family or the, the tenant works with you. And uh, it's very, very similar to Section 8, but it's only for veterans. So it was a great program.
2: What was it like for you as the landlord to get added into that VA VASH program? Was it a long process? Was it like pretty quick and easy? Like what was the vetting process for you to get onboarded?
1: Probably depends on your perception of easy and quick versus difficult. (laughs) Um, It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. The property had to... uh, meet certain criteria for inspections. Right. But we took great care of that property. We had renovated it during the time that we lived there and we, um, yeah, it wasn't that long. Maybe it took six to eight weeks. I want to say for application and, uh, inspections to be done. So it did sit vacant for a little bit and that was okay, but it felt good to know that we were going to do, like I said, we we really want to do good with the property that we had. So, um, yeah, six to eight weeks, I want to say with inspections and everything. And then we got tenants in there, um, pretty quickly after that, so it wasn't very quick. It uh, wasn't super easy. There were a lot of trips back and forth to the HUD office. So if things like that stress you out, just be prepared for that. But um, in hindsight, it really wasn't that bad.
2: And the the quality of tenants that you got, you said that uh, maybe you wouldn't do it again. If I heard you correctly, like what are what were some of the lessons that
1: I, I would do it again? Just these, and, and I would do it again. I uh, I think part of it too, I mean this is a dynamic that house hackers have that when they move out of a home that was an investment property but also primary residence you put your blood sweat tears into those properties right so when you go back and you see tenants not taking great care of the home smoking in it grease stains all over your kitchen um they were damaging our doors and our brand new windows so you know it, it's rough to watch someone uh kind of you know not beat up your house a little bit when you're like i brought my daughter home in that house can you not you know, but so that was just kind of a more emotional thing but they were uh, complaining quite a bit. They uh, were not supposed to be smoking in the house. They would blame everybody for you know certain problems. And they called us certain names when things didn't go their way. So uh, I would do the program again. Just at that time, the tenants were stressing us out.
0: Lindsay, when you did that program, did they pre-screen these people for you? And then you, did you do any additional screening on top of that too? They
1: did pre-screen the tenants to make sure it fit the criteria that we wanted and then they presented their application to us and we can approve it or deny it. We, as, if I recall, we weren't able to meet them like in person. Um, but we could deny their application if we wanted to at that time, it may has, it's, it's may changed since then, but at that time we were able to approve or deny them as tenants um, as it came through.
2: Well, thank you for introducing us to Vash, Lindsay. I'd, I'd never heard of that. Ashley had never heard of that. And, you know, part of the reason this show is so cool is because Ashley and I can learn new things and selfishly take them into our home business. But obviously so many folks in the Ricky audience are going to be- benefit from hearing about this program as well. So, um, I want to transition just a little bit because you, you are in a unique, uh, I think, viewpoint or vantage point as opposed to most of our guests because not only are you a real estate investor, but you also see a ton of volume as a real estate agent. And there's been so much uncertainty this year um, around whether or not people should get started in real estate investing, right? If I'm someone that's sitting on the sidelines that has zero deals, is now the right time to buy? You have, there was a bunch of price competition earlier in the year and then as that slowed down, you saw interest rates climbed super, super fast. So from your perspective, as both uh, an investor and as an agent, what are your thoughts on whether or not right now is a good time for new investors to get started?
1: Really good question. Of course, this is a common conversation that we're having. It goes back to what's more important to you, right? So we had people, like you said, there was prices getting bid up through the roof, right? It was so hard to get an offer accepted. People held off. Okay. Once interest rates started going up. Prices came down, competition ceased, but people are holding off because now interest rates are too high. The fact of the matter is we're never going to have the perfect storm of a market where interest rates are low or good. Prices are stable. There's less competition. You have negotiating power. Something has to give. So the wonderful thing about real estate investing is that it comes back down to the fundamentals. Does a deal work today? Yes or no? What's great and advantage about people who do want to get started or continue their portfolio in today's market? They're forced to underwrite the deal better. People could get away with buying not such great deals earlier this year and in 2020 because they were kind of saved by low interest rates and by prices going up, right? They're just grateful they got a deal because it was so hard to lock one in. Today, you really have to make sure that the underwriting is solid, that the monthly payment that the cash flow that whatever metric you're tracking makes sense with today's interest rates if rates go down fantastic you'll refinance you won't now you won't then be having to jump into the market when everyone else is now going to jump back into the market because then if rates drop i i ask clients this all the time okay if rates drop what do you think is going to happen oh maybe prices will go back up yeah exactly And then we're going to be right back to you complaining that prices are too high, it's too competitive, and you want to wait till it cools off. It's cooled off. So you have to decide what makes more sense for you. And what I think is great is that if you lock in a property at today's interest rates, it can only get better, right? Because if rates drop, you'll refinance. If you bought when rates were 3%, 2.5%, if you need to refinance right now for whatever reason, you probably can't afford that mortgage payment, and you're kind of stuck with that right? And maybe the property's lost value right now already. And now you can't sell that in scale. So I think you're actually more at a better advantage right now than people were eight months ago, nine months ago, because that market is, is gone. <laughs> you're back to the fundamentals of real estate in this market. So there's me buying opportunities no matter what market we're in. Right. If you're an investor, you're investing no matter what the market's doing. You're finding opportunities in that current
0: climate and taking advantage of it. I saw someone post that on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month yeah. ago, and it probably was you if you posted. It, but <laughs> it was a real estate agent, and it was, and it was seriously like hit me like, oh my gosh, that is so true. Is your whatever you pay for a property you're stuck with owing that dollar amount. Yes, You owe that. So if you're paying $300,000, no matter what the interest rate is, you're going to have to pay that at some point or sell the property and cover it. But that debt or that cash has to be provided to pay for that property. But if you get that interest rate, that can change. You can change that interest rate. So whether, you know, rates drop and you go and refinance, you find a private money lender or you do something, you do creative financing, things like that. But it just like really, it was kind of like an eye-opening thing for me is, yeah, you're, you're paying a lot. You can pay a lot less now. And then especially if you're holding the property, you know, a couple of years down the road or however long down the road when rates do drop is going and refinancing and you're going to be a lot better off because you purchased that 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 lower price. Um, so I am so glad we touched on that because I think that is such a, a valuable tool lesson like that everybody can learn from this is that, yeah, the, the market was hot. It's cooling off and interest rates are high. But how long do you and that's the thing nobody can predict is how long do you have to cover that high mortgage payment until rates do drop and don't buy it if you can't. And And you can't afford it right now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: And we're also getting the sellers to buy down the
1: interest rate. We're negotiating killer deals right now. I just negotiated a two one buy down. We got $50,000 in credits. So the, the, the buyer can take, I think they're doing like a three, two one buy down. Like they're getting a crazy good interest rate and this property, they easily would have paid over 150 grand more for it. Eight months ago.
0: Can you explain that? Like how, if somebody's agent isn't doing that for them, how would they, you know, what's that process look like? Well, first call us, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> but you know, but honestly, honestly, so basically it's a lot more likely because sellers are very fearful right now that they just want their house sold. Um, and so they're willing to, you'll see some marketing says like seller willing to buy down interest rate, but if they don't, then you can find a way for the buyer essentially to get their interest rate buy down paid for by the seller, so when you go to, to buy property, in any case, there's always interest rates that you can lock in, right? There's par pricing, meaning this will cost you zero extra points. You can use lender credits to have less closing costs, cr- less closing costs out of pocket, but have a higher interest rate. Or you can buy down the interest rate and have a lower um, rate, but it's going to cost you more money. Right now, we're able to get the seller to pay it down, and there's a program that was recently recently released called the two one buy down. It's not an adjustable rate mortgage. Basically, it's saying, hey, rates today are six percent. Let's do six percent for easy math. For the first year that you own the property, you're going to have four percent interest rate. The second year you own the property, you're at a five percent interest rate. Year three, you go to six percent. There's no prepayment penalty and it's not an adjustable rate where you're subject to the market rate at that time so in 3 years if rates are 10% 11% 12% we can't even fathom that right but rates have been there <laughs> rates were at 18% at one point um but it's, so it's not an adjustable rate mortgage but you are essentially having the seller pay the interest up front For you to have a lower interest rate for the first two years that you own the property. Really powerful, right? So you have to qualify for the loan at today's interest rates. It's not a way for the buyer to be able to buy more or qualify for it, which I think is a really important point to distinguish. It's not like, oh, I can afford this at 4% interest rate if we get the 2-1 buy-down. No, you have to qualify for the loan at today's interest rates. You have the benefit of having a lower mortgage payment because you have a lower interest rate the first uh, two years that you own the property. So it's great for short-term rental owners because this only works for primary home buyers and second home loans. So if you're doing a second home loan for a short-term rental, you essentially can have two years of a lower interest rate, right? Paid for by the seller again, and you can kind of withstand any maybe kind of, uh, you know, if we have a downturn or market slows a little bit, you got your listing up and running, you you can probably improve your cash flow for the first couple of years you own the property by having this uh, program. So we're getting this paid for by the seller and we're getting a lower price than list price. A list price is no longer a starting bid. <laughs> list price is a suggestion now. And we're saying, okay, is there a number that you have to hit to make this deal work for you? Let's offer that. Let's not be offensive, but let's you know, let's, let's see what they come back with. And now we have healthy negotiations going on again. Like I love this market because we have negotiations, both buyer and seller have to compromise and, you know, give a little bit. No one's really having the full advantage right now, which I think it means a healthy market.
0: Lindsay, how much does that buy down typically cost? Do you, have you seen that it's, I'm sure it probably varies from the lender, but is there like a typical percentage of the purchase price, or how? do What does that cost actually look like?
1: Yeah, uh, typically what we're seeing, and I'm not a lender. Uh, talk to Dave's lending team. Uh, the one brokers are fantastic at this, but typically we're seeing anywhere from like two and a half to three percent of the purchase price be enough for the two one buy down.
0: Great. Awesome.
1: So it's hefty. Sometimes we'll work that into the sales price if it works, right? We'll tell the seller, hey, we're going to take a chunk of your profit for the uh, closing cost credit, but we're going to add that back into the uh, purchase price in some way to make it a win for everybody.
0: It's amazing to me how creative you can actually get with just, you know, your regular on the market bank financing deals. I mean, you hear creative financing a lot, but that's usually off market, you know, seller financing, different things that are done with the creative financing. But there really are so many ways to get creative with traditional bank financing too. It's always great to hear fun and learn more about yeah <laughs>
2: well Lindsay, you, you've been like a wealth of knowledge um and i've really enjoyed this conversation but i would love to get us to our, our ricky request line that way our, our listeners can kind of poke into that brain trust of yours and get some more information on, on how that can keep moving so um awesome so if you guys are listening you want to get your question featured on the real estate rookie podcast give us a call at 8885 rookie and if the question is a good one we just might use it on the episode so Lindsay, are you ready for today's question i'm ready All right. Awesome. So today's question comes from Schmidt, just the first name like Oprah. Um, I can't find a deal anywhere. I do live in North Carolina, probably one of the hottest markets. I guess my question is, how should I start? Should I try to get a condo that is overpriced and has an HOA restriction on renting and just start there so I can start building equity and then move forward once the market cools off in a couple of years? Um, I'm 30, so I want to get started sooner rather than later. But also my question is, do you guys think I should up and move? I work remote so I can move to a rural town that has an up and coming market and start somewhere with lower uh, prices. I have funding, I've been saving for years, but my comfortability is extremely low. I do plan a house hack and would love to hear your response. So what's your what's your advice, Lindsay, for, for Schmidt?
1: This is a great question. And immediately halfway through the question as it was going on, I was thinking, you need to be able to make some adjustments and sacrifice. So I love that he is open to moving. Um, I don't know if you necessarily have to, I think it's going to depend upon what he thinks is going to be a better quote unquote deal for him. Is he looking for cash flow when he turns this into a rental or is he looking to let this stop the bleeding of rent and scale with equity build quicker? If it's equity position, then I would suggest, uh, saying where he is and buying the condo that he feels is overpriced. You could probably get a good price right now. And if realtors are telling you that, you know, no, it's, It's too hot. You might find another realtor, find a realtor. That's a really good negotiator. Um, Skills, guys, is going to be more important in this market than ever. You need to have someone representing you with the skills to get the negotiations done. So really be mindful of that as you're uh, searching for someone to help you. But if he's looking for equity, I would suggest staying where he is and find the best deal that he can. Suggest living in something that needs some work, add value to it over time you know, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. You don't have to live in the nicest and best unit in the best part of town. You want to live in a good part of town, have a unit that you can add value to over time. That's going to maximize the equity potential that will put you in a position to scale down the road, either be another house hack or, um, you know, buying more rental properties or what have you, if he is looking for less out of pocket also depends on his budget too, right? So it's going to be another situation that I don't, I don't have, um, information on, but if he's wanting to be more, you know, cost, cost conscientious and uh, buy at a lower barrier to entry, then moving for a short period of time in an area that is growing, area that has population growth, job growth, opportunities, something that he can do if it's near a university, if it's near a hospital where you have multiple exit strategies for that property in the future to hold onto as a rental, long-term rental, mid-term rental, short-term rental, um, that's going to be another great avenue too. So it depends upon what he wants to get out of this first deal and where he wants to be in the next three to five years. I don't have that from him. I would need a deeper conversation and your realtor should be asking you the same thing. But I hope that at least gives him um, a bit more of an idea on which direction to go. But I love that he's open and not just saying, oh, real estate doesn't work. I'm I'm gonna keep on renting, and I'm just gonna hold off until the market cools down or what or whatnot. I was just getting in now, negotiating a great deal and uh, just deciding what you want this deal to work and how you want it to work for you.
0: And you know what, I do love the questions too, where somebody has options. Yes. Like what? What can? what's a better position you could be in than having different options? So um, yeah, congrats to Schmidt for wanting to get in started in real estate investing and having those options. So you'll uh, have to write for us um, in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and let us know what you end up doing. Okay, Lindsay, are you ready for our rookie exam? I think so. I haven't studied, but I think I'm ready. (laughs) I think I'll be okay. What is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode?
1: Oh, I have a two part uh, to this. And so I hope that, you know, I don't get disqualified here. So to part one of this, I want everyone to really take an honest inventory about where they're getting their information from. There is such a hype of uh, spreading fear, spreading, you know, the the headlines that elicit a response and people are making decisions on their investing and their long-term goals based on these headlines. And so I really as if someone's listening to you guys, if they're listening to Rookie Bigger Pockets, they're involved in these kind of discussions. They're already a step ahead, which is great, but just be mindful of where you're getting your content from right now and who you're allowing to influence your decisions on investing. You know, cuz these uh these news articles, these sources, they want to make you feel a certain way, they want you to think a certain way. So almost try to think about when you read something, have some uh, discernment. Is this benefiting me? Is this, how, how are they benefiting from sharing this information with me? And, you know, just making sure that you're not making any emotional decisions on your investing based on mass media. I think that's a, a, a trap that I can see a lot of people who are nervous about getting started in investing Falling into. I'm not saying don't be prepared, don't be well informed, but just really try to have some some discernment when you're deciding who you're going to allow to influence your decisions moving forward into 2023. Part two to that is also to evaluate your circle. I know from personal experience, you know, I said I'm I'm partnered with David Green, right? That has done wonderful things for me in my journey. And I know that if you take an honest inventory of who you're allowing to uh, spend a lot of time with you whose influence, whose opinions and is influencing you really try to think about, are these people serving me? They be, they maybe they may be well-intended. They're probably very well-intended, but maybe they just don't get it. Right. Maybe they just don't have the same goals or vision that you have. So really evaluate who you're allowing to also influence you personally and look to elevate your circle in 2023. You know, meetups um, are, are great. I just recently joined go abundance women, right? I'm super excited about that. I know I need to elevate my circle, of people that I, I look to for inspiration. So um, two parts to that, just be mindful of who you're allowing to influence you and be intentional about that in this year.
2: Absolutely love that answer. I love that answer. Um, your, your circle and the people you surround yourself with have such a big influence on you, both consciously and subconsciously. So I think all of us should be more uh, intentional about who we let into our lives and who we allow to, to influence us. So Love that. All right. Question number two: What's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business?
1: Ooh, something I should use better is my CRM. <laughs> um, you know, as you're getting leads, whether that be for uh, for deals, for clients, uh, you really need to keep track of everything. And typically, us entrepreneurs are not very organized, right? And we hear CRM, and we hear we, we kind of just, you know, I I avoided it. I'm like, no, my notepad and paperwork's just fine. But um, we use a CRM called Brevity and that I don't use it to its potential, but that's at least helped me stay organized and focused. And then in terms of short-term rentals with automation uh, and analysis, I love Price Labs and I love, um, yeah, Price Labs, I think is like what I use to analyze deals and then uh, Guesty for you know automation and taking that off my plate so that things don't slip through the cracks and my Airbnb guests don't feel as... Accommodated because I didn't message them right away or things like that. So uh, those two, two. Uh, I say I gave you three. I'm sorry. I'm hoping for extra credit here. I'm giving. Yeah, you that's fine.
2: Totally fine.
0: <laughs> Lindsay, um, with your CRM, what are some things you track in it besides just the person's name and phone number? Um, I'm just curious because I my birthday was a month ago and I got a text message from this loan officer that I'm using that told me, happy birthday, I hope you have a great day. And I was just like, okay, this is super random. Is this something he tracks and texts all of his clients or is I, I'm just his favorite client and he happened to see it was my birthday today on a loan document? Maybe send me a copy of that text and I can say if it's a template or not, <laughs> right?
3: <Yeah.
1: laughs> um, right. All right? So really good question. I track important milestones and I track what they tell me. If they tell me that they're going on vacation, if they tell me that they are, they have big Goals to renovate the house that they're in, or this is where they want to be in a year from now. Like I track what's important to them in the conversation. There's a note section for every call that you make to prospects or a client, and that way, when I follow back up with them, I know I can I can relate to that. I can ask them a follow up question, so they 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 feel and they can see that I cared enough to remember that, you know. And, and I get pulled in so many different directions. My my brain is always going a million miles a minute um, with our team and everything. So having those trackers about points of the conversation that I want to refer to later next time I call them again is really important. And then any objections that they have, I like to share that so I can make sure I address their personal um, objections and fears and not just blanket them with everyone else's Um, concerns too. So I can speak to them more on an individual basis.
0: I I think that's um, really awesome right there. And I think this doesn't even just apply to clients. It's just networking in general is, you know, going to conferences, events, and writing those notes about somebody. What did they talk about? What made them like light up? What excited them? Um, So keeping track of those things so that when you do follow up with them or see them again, you know, you're going to be, They're going to remember you because you remembered something about them too. And they're going to, you know, it's going to make you stand out to them compared to somebody who's just, oh, hi, nice to see you again. Do you remember me from this conference? And then somebody else who's going, oh, you know, how did your daughter like that car she ended up buying or something like that?
1: Or who are you looking to meet? I love asking people, who are you looking
0: to meet? Who can I introduce you to? That is another great point. That connection. Yeah. Being the connector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The matchmaker. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So last question, where do you plan on being in five years? I love and hate this
1: question so much because if you told me five years ago, I would be partnering with David Green and running this big real estate team and having a portfolio, I'd be like, you're nuts. You're crazy. Right? So I love this question, but I'm also like, I have no idea. <laughs> so if I had to, to guess or like goals that I have for myself and our family, um, I want my real estate team to be thriving. We would love to, you know, hit 200 million every year. We're serving so many people. Our mission is to help everyone build wealth through real estate. Simple, right? So I really want to maximize that and uh, and grow and opportunities that come with that. Personally, for our portfolio, um I want to get into other asset classes. I'd love to get into self-storage. I'd love to get into other commercial spaces that um are going to have more and more opportunity as things start to continue to shift. And I'm open to receiving, you know, um Kind of leads or, or whatnot for those different ideas. I want to have a me- medium sized rental portfolio. You know, we're more simple. I don't want a huge portfolio. Like I, I'd rather have a handful of good performing properties and pivoting as necessary to keep that going. You know, I don't want to overcomplicate my life. Looking to simplify it, right? So I'd love to have a good handful, maybe ten to fifteen properties that are performing and performing well and now getting into more other into other types of businesses and commercial asset classes and then i'd love to this is kind of silly and you guys might laugh but i would love to live on a farm i want to buy land and we want to build like a forever home and i want to have you know the chickens and the goats and all the things and just a simple simple life um i would love that so if i can do that next five years and uh, teach my kids how to grow their own food and be self-sustainable. I I would love that.
0: Well, I can't laugh because I live on a farm. So <laughs> I'm. <jealous. laughs> I love that life. We just we just have, it's a very very working farm. We just have dairy cows. There's no chickens. There's no pigs. My nieces will sometimes raise a pig, and we keep them at our barn. But um, yeah, it's not the you know the hobby farm, I guess, where you have all the cool animals and things like that. No, no garden really. Yeah, and just crops to feed the cows. <laughs> so. There
2: you go. I've never felt more left out for like not living on a farm in my life. Experience.
0: Yeah, but is, you like, live near thing. the cows. You... I do live near, yeah. there are some dairy cows yeah. that
2: are near me. I'm not too far. I
1: mean, uh, hey, Tony, I'm from California too, right? So I
2: yeah. <laughs> you
1: never know. You may get exposed to farm life and be like, oh, I like and this.
2: Fall in love with it, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, th- those are great answers. You you passed the exam with flying colors, Lindsay, as I, as I thought you would. So hey. as we wrap things up, I do <laughs> want to give a shout out to this week's rookie rock star, who which uh, is David Long. And And David says, Seven years ago today at age 25, I bought my first rental property. It was four units full of drug dealers, which I didn't know at the time. Right after closing, I drove down to the building filled with drug dealers, collected all the rent and cash, but it changed my life forever. I quit my job at 30 and never looked back. Now I make, I make my own schedule. I started doing social media content creation, which I had no idea how much I liked or how lucrative it can be. Real estate opens so many doors when you can take chances that wouldn't be possible being stuck at a desk all day. I now own 11 buildings with 31 units. So David Long, congratulations. That is an amazing story. Love hearing the, the success.
1: Why well, we do what we do, right? Like that that fuels me. That just that gets me so excited. I love stories like that, you know, And and anyone can attain it it's it's not out of reach really and i love that
0: well lindsay thank you so much for joining us today can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you
1: absolutely so i'm heavy on instagram that's probably the best way to get to know me a little bit better i put out a lot of content uh, i'm not great at reels tony and his team are just you guys are all wonderful at like the fancy <laughs> reels. I just have my, I, I do stories and I share a lot of stuff of what I shared here in the podcast today. I like to share almost daily on my Instagram, so uh, find me there. My handle is Lindsay Iskierka Realtor, and I'm also on Bigger BiggerPockets, um, so you can reach out to me there as well. Um, but I'm really heavy on Instagram. It's probably gonna be the best way to get a hold of me. Um, if you guys want to talk to to me and our team at all, you can go to info at davidgreen24.com. And we'll make sure you guys get set up with a great agent to help you accomplish your goals.
0: Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really appreciated all of the value that you had for us and to our listeners. We definitely learned some new things today and we really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. Oh, this is fun. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And thank you guys so much for joining us. We will be back on Saturday with a Rookie Reply.
3: Still your-